News Weekly is an ad-free, listener-supported podcast made possible by teammates like you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah. that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast, where you can get free tickets to my upcoming comedy festival shows in Perth, Sydney, and Melbourne. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how to get those. That's patreon.com slash Shah. Top Stories of the Week George Pell finds a way to stop caring about controversies. Also, who wasn't dressing as a Nazi at parties in the early 2000s? And Peter Dutton hates homework. All that and more on News Weekly. Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and thank you for joining me as we punch the news in the headlines weekly. For whom the Pell tolls news now? When a public figure dies, particularly one who led a controversial life, there's often a debate over how and when to criticise their legacy. It's an age-old problem, going as far back as Julius Caesar's funeral, where Brutus got up and said he had to die because he was too ambitious and too greedy for power, and then Mark Anthony had to remind everyone that Caesar had just died by carrying his body onto the stage and pointing out that Caesar had literally just died, so can we be a little bit nicer to him? Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honourable man. That was Marlon Brando playing Mark Anthony in the second worst casting decision in movie history. The worst, of course, being that time John Wayne played Genghis Khan. You return empty-handed from the chase, my son? Not so, fine gazelle. Similarly, when John Wayne died, many questioned his legacy and how he was notoriously racist and homophobic. This debate is an inevitability, made all the worse by social media, much in the same way that everything in the world is made all the worse by social media. What benefit does it provide exactly, other than the ability of complete strangers to punch your soul and an endless stream of videos of women in tights bending over? It should come as no surprise, then, that the death of Cardinal George Pell was about as free of controversy as the life of Cardinal George Pell. He was accused, convicted, then cleared. Cardinal George Pell, who found himself at the centre of the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal, has died. The 81-year-old suffered a heart attack following hip surgery in Rome. His death has had a varied response, to say the least. For many, it's proof that they should never get hip surgeries in Italy. For those who knew him well, it's a loss and a time of grief. From former Prime Minister John Howard, his deep and compassionate faith sustained him during more than 400 days in prison for alleged crimes which many, me included, believed should never have been the subject of charges. From Tony Abbott, always a supporter... Australia has lost a great son and the church has lost a great leader. For others, like Darren Hinch, a little less so. No, he was not a great Australian. He was a pathetic Australian. To me, the man was evil. So what exactly is his legacy? Well, let's look at what his greatest defenders say. Someone like, for example, former Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett, who was a close personal friend of George Pell. He was the first leader of the Catholic Church to put together a response to deal with sexual abuse. Kenneth says Pell's establishing of the Catholic Church's 1996 Melbourne response, which offered compensation payments to victims of sexual abuse at the hands of the clergy, was proof of George Pell's concern for children. And Jeff Kennett is an honourable man. 
you were lucky if you got 50 grand, signed a piece of paper that said you could never sue the church. It was a device to protect the church. Senior journalist David Maher there. Pell's legacy has also been defended by Peter Cummins-Solly, the current Archbishop of Melbourne. The Cardinal is, I think, being one of the great uh, churchmen of Australia and internationally. He, over many years, has been a forthright defender of the faith. He's talking there about George Pell's unwavering support of the church, like in 1993 when he accompanied Father Gerald Risdale to court where Risdale was charged for indecent assault against nine boys. Risdale later pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting more than 50 children over decades. Decades later, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse would find Pell knew of child sex abuse by clergy as far back as the 70s. But Peter Comensoli is an honourable man. Meanwhile, Andrew Bolt has once again defended Pell against critics by pointing out the High Court's overturning of George Pell's conviction for alleged sexual abuse. I'm talking about the police, for instance, Victoria Police, who advertised for so-called victims, eventually found 26 people, uh, 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 nine people, they lodged 26 charges. All of those charges were so preposterous that they ultimately failed. Some didn't even make it to court. They were so intrinsically stupid. Actually, out of those 26 charges, five went to trial and did result in convictions in county court and the Victorian Court of Appeal, and the rest weren't dismissed because they were considered preposterous, but because the complexity in dealing with historical claims with a 20-year gap between the alleged offences and trials. But Andrew Bolt is... is he? An honourable man? In the end, George Pell's prosecution was overturned on appeal by the High Court unanimously. The decision was that he couldn't be found guilty beyond reasonable doubt, which is the standard by which we judge everyone in a modern, free and fair society. Even, you know, O.J. Simpson, for example. Still, his supporters and friends clearly think very highly of him. Here's the man with an unfortunate last name, Emeritus Professor Greg Craven. I actually think history will be kind to George Pell. Oddly enough, because I think the focus as history goes on will probably be on him partly as a cardinal. So let's then look at his history particularly as a cardinal. He rankled progressive Catholics with his conservative message and resistance to reform. We're not a bit anti-women, but we're not in favour of women priests. Anti-divorce, anti-abortion, he also refused communion to gay activists at one of his masses. Homosexuality, we're aware that it does exist. Uh, we believe that it's, such activity is wrong. But if you think I'm being unfair, there's also this side to him. <laughs> But he was an advocate for Indigenous reconciliation and a fierce critic of the mandatory detention of asylum seekers. I think it's uh, mean and excessive, excessively harsh. So what can you say about George Pell? How do you assess his legacy? I'll leave that to John Allen, the news editor of Crux, an independent outlet that reports on the Vatican. George Pell was divisive everywhere he went. I mean, if he had ever been to Mars, there would be a division of opinion about him there. Catholics on Mars. Here was George Pell. When comes another. He did not see that coming, news now.
New South Wales has a state election coming up in March, which is probably why it's time to dig into the old closet and pull out a Nazi uniform. Premier Dominic Perrottet has admitted to wearing a Nazi uniform to a dress-up party, celebrating his 21st birthday, appearing to fight back tears today as he asks for forgiveness. Apparently, before the New South Wales Premier became a father of seven, he spent his misbegotten youth dressed up as a Nazi. Now, this was back in 2003, when apparently dressing up as a Nazi was considered okay. I mean, Prince Harry dressed up as a Nazi in 2005, and he wasn't even in Australia, when not being horrendously bigoted wasn't considered bad until basically last week. This is the country where I still meet people who think Chris Lilly was funny, and that motherfucker was doing rap videos in blackface and saying the N-word in 2015. You got squashed in your room. To Dominic Perrottet's credit, he's apologised for the Nazi uniform since it came to light a few days ago. At my 21st fancy dress party, uh, I wore a Nazi uniform. I'm deeply ashamed of what I did. And in case you didn't catch the apology the first time, he did it again. I'm truly sorry. And again. I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Then he visited Jewish community leaders and apologised to them as well. So clearly he's sorry. And look, I think it's safe to say most people won't care. A Nazi uniform is shocking, but he didn't wear it last week. He wore it when he was 21. And we like to think people are intelligent when they're 21, but let's be honest, before 35, basically everyone's a complete fucking idiot who shouldn't be allowed near heavy machinery. And the young Dominic Perrottet did do the right thing after wearing the Nazi uniform. He joined the Young Liberals. I mean, if there's any group of wankers who'll welcome that kind of poor judgement, it's them. The real question is why now? Why did this 20-year-old indiscretion become such a pressing issue? Well, we know there's an election coming up, and scandals like these often surface around election time. Except this one isn't being caused by Perrottet's opposition. At least not his external opposition. The Premier forced into the public shaming by a member of his own cabinet. I had a, I had a colleague call me, not just in a way where they raised this with me and I believed, I believed it was important um, that the people of New South Wales hear this from me. That colleague, it turns out, was David Elliott, the New South Wales Minister for Transport under Perrottet. So why would David Elliott want to hurt his own Premier? He broke ranks on Friday with the Premier's push for a cashless gaming card. See, Dominic Perrottet has made it clear he wants to reform gambling in his state, particularly the use of pokey machines for money laundering after a recent report found billions of dollars of dirty money were being gambled. His solution is cashless gaming cards, which would have a cap on how much money gamblers can spend in a day. David Elliott is against that idea. I'm keen to find where in the world the cashless card has worked. I want it to work. Why such a vocal disagreement with something that gambling companies clearly don't want, which means it'll probably work? Could it be because David Elliott used to be the former director of the Castle Hill RSL Club, whose 300-odd pokey machines ranked as the most profitable in the state? 
or could it be this? New South Wales Transport Minister David Elliott says he'll stay out of Cabinet decisions about poker machine reform because his son works for a gambling company aristocrat. Elliott believes that the story was leaked to the media by Dominic Perrottet's office. Minister Elliott telling Seven News, I was told on Saturday night by a member of Dominic Perrottet's religious right faction that this attack was imminent. I reached out to the Premier to intervene. He did not respond to my multiple text messages. It turns out hell hath no fury like a minister with a son working for a gambling company who himself has close ties to gambling. Luckily for Dominic Perrottet, his apology seems to be taken at face value and he can focus on the campaign trail once again. That's not the only historical document haunting the Premier who could face five years jail if he didn't disclose the scandal on legally binding statutory declaration forms required to become a Liberal Party candidate. They include a declaration that, to the best of my knowledge, there are no matters that are likely to cause embarrassment to the party. To be fair to Dominic Perrette, how was he to know dressing up as a Nazi would cause embarrassment to the Liberal Party? No one said there'd be homework. News now. The Labour government has promised a referendum on voice to parliament this year and the Liberal Party leader Peter Dutton has had enough time to consider his party's position and come back with some questions. Peter Dutton arguing they don't yet know what they're voting for. By starving the Australian people of the basic detail about the voice, the Prime Minister is really setting the voice up for a fail. In an open letter to Anthony Albanese, Mr Dutton calls for clarity on a series of questions, asking how people would be elected to The Voice, how much the advisory body would cost and how it will deliver outcomes for the community. Now, these are all good questions. Questions that need answering. Unfortunately for Dutton, they're questions that were answered by the over 270-page report on The Voice provided to the Morrison government he was a part of by their own Indigenous minister, Ken Wyatt, in 2021. Here's Radio National's Hamish MacDonald asking Liberal Senator Jane Hume if she knows how to Google. Your leader has put out this letter, 15 questions he says the government hasn't answered, and I'm just wondering if your party genuinely doesn't know the answer to the bulk of those questions. Well, we're speaking on behalf of Australians. Is it reasonable, is it unreasonable to ask for more information before you make a very big decision? They are quite basic questions, you're right, and potentially the answers are out there. So why aren't they being answered? I went through the list last night. It took about half an hour to go through those questions put out by Peter Dutton, uh, compare it with the Karma Langton review, I've got to say, it was, it was pretty easy to find those answers. Well, why, why, why hasn't your party done that before making out that this information isn't available? Well, the question really is why hasn't Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party made that information freely available? It's on the internet. It took a couple of minutes to find. It's not unreasonable to ask the government of the day to answer some very basic questions about something that is really important, constitutional change, which will lock in a system. We should know what the arrangement is. And by not sharing but, but those do. very basic I mean, details, these are the, questions. the Who Prime will Minister is setting the referendum up to fail. Why not just do the homework to get the outcome you want? Senator Hume, respectfully, if you're saying do the homework, I don't understand why you wouldn't go and read this documentation yourself. I'm just wondering why you wouldn't do that work first before trying to create 
a debate which seems to presuppose that the information isn't there. Hamish, the government's job is to make it as easy as possible for not the opposition, but for all Australians to make a decision. So why don't they do the work? When will the Liberal Party announce if it will take a position or, or allow a conscience vote? Oh, well, that's a decision for the party and probably when more information is available. What, what do you mean more information is available? The thing is, Hamish is right. All the answers are available. And Jane Hume and Peter Dutton are right in that Australians are not going to read a 270-page report to get those answers. According to the National Reading Survey by Australia Reads, 75% of the general Australian population indicate they read or listen to at least one book in any format once a year. The only way Australians will absorb that report is if it's turned into a movie starring Margot Robbie as Martha Langton, Chris Hemsworth as Ken Wyatt, and The Voice to Parliament is voiced by Russell Crowe. And finally, here's an actual excerpt from Prince Harry's memoir. Because too many of you keep asking me to read it and I fucking refuse to. And maybe if I play this, you'll leave me alone. This is an actual excerpt from his memoir. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatised. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. And I took a smidge and applied it down there. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Like I said at the start of the show, I do have free tickets to give away for anyone who is a member of my Patreon. So if you go over to patreon.com slash Samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, you can get not one but two free tickets by joining my Patreon. Um, all the instructions are right there on the Patreon front page. So go ahead, read through those. Uh, basically, all you have to do is really email me and tell me what day you want to come in Perth or Melbourne or Sydney's date soon to be announced there as well. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we point to news in the headlines weekly. <laughs>